0: Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Necriadon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous, the real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin Our workings are wondrous too, and not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same results. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique, and as we share insights, knowledge, and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Lisa Lloyd. Lisa, you're so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you.
1: It's been a conversation long, long time coming. I'm excited about this. Yes,
0: it has, hasn't it? (laughs) And, And unfortunately, it's over Zoom and not in person, but sometime we'll get to meet again, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: So, Lisa, there's a lovely phrase on your website. Looking after people is a human, ethical and moral responsibility and it's good for business. Now, I'm pretty sure I know what you mean, but tell me in your words, what do you really mean here?
1: I think a lot of people get really stuck on thinking about the kind of looking after people, or the people side of business as being very much it's all about kind of the soft and fluffy side of just you know we've got to do it to tick the box because we've been told to or we've got to because HR say we have to or whatever it is and it's that kind of notion of this is almost like it's everything that we talk about right now and actually when we step back and and think we treat people like humans and we and we kind of treat them in a way that we really bring out the best in people then we get the best from people so like my mantra is you know you get people right to get business right And so we have to start looking at the whole sense of, yes, we have a legal responsibility. So, you know, thinking about health and safety and, you know, the law side, we actually have to do that. We actually have a moral responsibility because if people are working with us for so much of their waking hours, then actually we should be looking after them. But also when we look after people and they love what they do and they love the company they work for, it's, you know, the company's reputation really booms. And, you know, that's kind of talked about so, so well. People enjoy working there, so they give their best. And it's that whole sense of, you know, your reputation, There, people are really engaged, just that whole being engaged. I mean, that word alone, we talk about it a lot. But in terms of what we really mean by that, it means, you know, for me, it means about people coming to work and being able to really, Get to grips, focus on whatever this supposed to be focusing on, whatever that is, whatever format is, in without worrying, without kind of barriers to worrying about stuff that's going on outside of work or worrying about my relationship with my colleagues or worrying about have I got time to be creative and inventive or have I got to meet a target. So it's that sense of being able to come and be my best. And it's you, know, you mentioned when we had conversations before about working with Deloitte and that you know the Deloitte report. So last year or the year before, let's talk about the return on investments. So when companies invest £1 for in terms of well-being and engagement and kind of that side of looking after people, the average return is £5 per person. And actually, if you do that incredibly well, it can be as much as £9. So why would companies not do it? And the, and the biggest return is when companies are doing it well in terms of across an organisation, which is about their culture, rather than pinpointing the individuals and going right let's let's focus on them. It's like when you're a brilliant organization to work for and people can be their best and they can thrive, you know what? It's really good for your numbers as well. So it's kind of a win-win across the whole board. Uh, Absolutely.
0: But people know, but do they know? I mean it sounds really obvious when you say it like that that you invest one pound in each person and you can get a return of between five and nine pounds. I mean that's amazing.
1: Yeah. So why isn't everyone
0: investing one pound?
1: Because I think... So I think some people don't know that. So they've still got their head in the sand and they just don't know. They don't hear the bit of the argument that works for them. So when I'm working with organisations, depending on what motivates them, it depends on what I focus on. Some people, it's all about the numbers. So I'll talk about return on investment. Some people, it's about we just want people to be happy. So I talk about that side. So it's about kind of hearing the, the relevant message. But I think also some people say so, okay I've got my pound but I have no idea what to do with that pound it's like <laughs> it's not very really well someone's saying invest this and it'll get a really good return but it's like what do I do with it and I think especially since Covid since March 2020 there have been so many people jumping into the space of well-being and it's like I've got this pound. I really don't know what to do with it where, who do I give it to? Is it someone who's got a really amazing marketing campaign and we're really convinced that they're the people who are going to invest it really wisely? Or is it these people who I've never heard of before, but actually I really like the person? Or is it, you know, how do I make that informed decision? And that's about having someone to sit down and actually help you understand all the ways that you can use that kind of investment, which is not a tick box. It's not come along and have a magic workshop and then suddenly everyone would be, able to thrive and engage. But
0: also can't you ask your staff what they want? Precisely. Yeah. Because well, it's, it's a different solution for yeah. different people. It's not a one size fits all, is it, Lisa? Exactly.
1: And I think it's really hard for leaders to know. I think we tend to think leaders tend to think they know what needs to happen. You've got some who say oh, like, we don't we don't know, we just need some we need some help. And you've got other people who say this is what we need to focus on. And there's always studies coming. classic ones around communication, when leaders say, yeah, we're amazing at this stuff. And then you ask the employees, they're like, no, they're not. (laughs) There's a really big disparity. And I think it's very easy for some people at a leadership level or even management level to sort of sit back and say, this is what we need to do and this is going to solve all the problems. Yet they don't even really, they don't know what's going on for their workforce. And I often talk about an iceberg model you know, we only see the top tip of the iceberg. So when you look around you in your company, you see what people allow you to see, which is a tiny bit. And you might see people appearing to be engaged or smiling or completing their tasks on time, but we don't really know what's going on underneath. We don't know what's motivating them, what's worrying them or anything else. And we need to ask the questions, not necessarily what's going on for you underneath the surface of the water, but actually in terms of working here, what's going well What's not? What do you like about working here? What enables you to be your best? What are your strengths? What do you enjoy doing? What do you really hate doing? And then beginning to kind of unpick that a little bit.
0: And is that something that would be good at interview, recruitment stage? Or do you think people, it's better when people have bedded into an organisation? Because the other thing that came into my head when you talked about engagement is, are people in the right jobs?
1: Mm yes and I always think that as well as the right jobs the right roles or the, the right role. role yeah in terms of people are so in this whole concept of looking after people and people being able to thrive and be engaged it's relatively new you know like when I speak to my dad about it it's like just people just need to get on with it get on with it so I think it's relatively new yet roles in companies are still often so traditional so it's like you know you are an accountant or you're a HR person or a marketing person and therefore here's your job description which is written I don't know how long ago or based on all the traditional roles within that job description and actually if I'm if I'm really really great at talking with people and selling to clients and so on but I'm really hopeless at detailed proposals then actually could I because someone else who is amazing the detail and amazing writing but hates the public bit Why can we not kind of tweak roles? And so I focus on what I'm really, really good at because I enjoy it. And then I'm because I enjoy it and I'm good at it, that's going to be really, really, really successful in the business place. And let someone else do the stuff that I it's just a chore and it just drags. And I probably make mistakes because I'm not that engaged with it. It's about helping people rethink the, the way they do things rather than just we do it like this here because we've always done it like this here. So I think from the interview. Point is really good.
0: And also we do it like this here because we don't have time to look at anything else. So you have the name of your business is it's time for change. But I think the number one
1: complaint you'll hear is we don't have time. Yes. Oh yeah. No, people don't have time for anything though, do they? (laughs) You know, whether it's looking at the kind of like the macro level of what's going on my whole organization, or whether it's looking at the individual level of where are people at right now for themselves. The number one thing the number one barrier i hear, hear people talk about is we just don't have time to do it and that's where it's a really important to work with the leadership to say hang on a minute pause there and just just think about what it is you've just said because at the moment you're full steam ahead possibly on the wrong path or you're on a path where you just know there's always barriers coming the way so yes you might be getting going the right direction but you've got all this stuff being flung at everyone on that path, and it just feels like really hard work. So why don't you just pause and remove some of those barriers, or pause and just check you're actually on the right path? I do a lot of stuff around people understanding their brain and emotional arousal and stress and overwhelm and anxiety and so on, and how that really diminishes performance. And when we are, when people are able to pause and they're given permission to pause by their leaders and they know why the necessity of pausing in terms of their brain will be so much more productive and you'll be so much more engaged and so much more successful after a pause. And um, then that's, that's where the magic happens, but you, but people need to understand why. And it's no good to saying to people, well, you've got to have a lunch break or we're going to have to stop and have a day out to review. It's like, well, why?
0: Yeah. It's, it's understanding. It's, and so it's kind of addressing some of the fears as well, I suppose, yeah. that they have, is if we stop, we might lose momentum.
1: Yeah, whereas actually you gain momentum because you have all those things, all these kind of like bumps you've been kind of trying to go over, you suddenly, the bumps are smoothed out. So actually you gain momentum, but people, I think people, I think you're right. People can be quite scared about what might come up. Just think about the, the mental health bit of it. It's like, I can't talk about mental health because what if you're like, well, just be just be human. If someone says they're feeling really rubbish, then just say, wow, that sounds that sounds quite tough. What, what would help? What do you need right now? They're not asking you to solve all the problems. You'd be signposting them to wherever they need to go. Same with business. If I'm feeling stuck about a proposal I've got to write and I'm feeling really overwhelmed about it or I've got to work with this colleague and I really don't get on with them or my boss is just micromanaging me or actually not managing me at all. If you understand what's going on for someone then you can start working out how to how to change things so that it works for everyone and then people can then engage and, and thrive but people just don't want to have the conversations well that's where you that's where you come in Susan the tricky <laughs> conversation. That exactly go
0: exactly And <laughs> uh, not and people don't want to have difficult conversations yeah. because they think that I, don't, I mean, all sorts of stuff comes up for you and you you probably seize up a little bit going into a room thinking, oh my God, what if this person attacks me or whatever? And actually, usually when you sit down to have a conversation with someone, they kind of know what's coming. Or they welcome it.
1: Yes. Or oh, you take them by surprise and you just showed me as you're on their side. You hear what they're saying. As soon as someone understands that what they're saying is being heard... And not just like, yeah, 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 but I'm actually being heard and being respected, even if the other person doesn't agree with it and is willing to kind of work with that in terms of, okay, this is where we're both at. This is our starting point. So let's work out how we move forward in a way that that works for us both. I think you're onto a real winner, but people kind of go and going, it's almost like a boxing ring, isn't it? Like, I have to come out of this on top and I'm going to be beating the other person like it's just a scrap you just and then both people end up so stressed and so defensive that you lose your sense of perspective you lose your ability to communicate well and it's just a damn cycle before you've even opened your mouth Mm. and I think the way I have
0: always looked at that, Lisa, myself is, and it's back to what we talked at the beginning almost, is you have to look at the person as a human being, mm-hmm. that it's a person that's sitting across the table from you. Yes. And kind of let all the titles and whatever that
1: you yeah. are holding on to fade away and say, this is a person. Yes. And I think that's a really good point, Susan, because I think when... So I'm doing loads of work around change at the moment. So when organisations go, oh, we're changing, you know, COVID means we're having to change. And it's like, well, actually, it's the one thing you can be certain of in life is that change will happen. <laughs> so not COVID will be something else. But this is kind of, you know, what, I'm doing some work with some organisations at the moment who are like, oh, these people are being really defensive, or they're just being really tricky and they won't come on board and they won't do this, and they won't do that. And we don't know how to get them on board and they're just digging their feet in. And it's like going back to on change is the people side of change. That everyone ignores. It's like we're we're at A, you want to get to B. And how do you get there really quickly? The kind of focus on the really technical side. Whereas actually we need to look at the people side of it. And when you then understand that these people are digging their feet in because they're really terrified. They can't see how they fit into the future or their voice about what they're worried about. Their experience hasn't been heard, or they—they. They, there's always it's, it's the anxiety, it's the worry about it. And as soon as you allow them a channel to be able to express their concerns and to be heard, it doesn't mean you're not going to carry them with the change, but it means you bring them with you rather than fighting the whole journey and then potentially them leaving or just upsetting the whole change process. So yeah, exactly. it's what you said? Understanding where someone's at.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Because you're never going to change. I mean, obviously you're always changing, but you're never going to get the changes embedded you want without bringing the people with you. Precisely. And, but you don't want to bring the people with you <laughs> <laughs> or you don't want them to question your thought
1: process again. Yeah, but I guess if they, they, it's not about questioning, for me it's not about questioning the thought process, it's about, I think for, for, any, for us, for any of us doing anything, we need to know the, the why. You know, it's the really, Simon Sinek talks about it all the time, it's the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? So if someone suddenly came into you to your workplace today and said, right, Susan, you're not doing like this anymore, we're going to now do it like that. You'd be like, why? Because I'm actually really happy doing it how I normally do it and it seems to be working really well for me. They've got to understand the why. So, so these questions are really natural and they're really, really important to be heard and to be answered. And if they're not, and we just have the view of, well, I'm the leader, so what I say goes, and they, you know, they just have to acknowledge that we're doing it, then you're kind of bullying people along. And lots of people talk about change management programs. For me, it's not about managing change, which is almost like getting a big stick out and pushing people saying, right, you're now there, you're there. It's about leading change. And, and when you have that notion of actually, we're here and we want things to change, Whatever that might look like, it might be our teams breaking up, it might be we're joining with another team, it might be we're changing route and what we're focusing on. It doesn't matter what it is. But if I'm going to lead my team to where we want to go, that means they've all got to understand why they're following me. You know, what is it that's so amazing and uh, what we're what we're moving towards? What is it that's in it for them? What are their worries? Because then as soon as I understand the worries, I can reassure them.
0: Exactly. And I love that the the change management and I hadn't thought of it like that before, the managing change. So maybe it should be change leadership instead of yes. change management. Yes. But it brings me to another point about managers. Yes. And often the people that get tasked with something like this.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, with a very dangerous assumption
1: that they probably know what they're up to. Yes. The assumption, I love that word. The assumption is yes, like where where does that assumption come from? Why, why do we suddenly assume it's it's like giving an employee a brand new piece of really technical equipment and saying, right, let's work it out for yourself without any instruction manual, we just wouldn't do it. And yet we do it all the time. It's like you're really good at what you do, so now I'm gonna give you a whole team of people to manage. It's a whole different skill set, and it's where things really fall down. So leaders often get to being a leader because they've kind of got that way of thinking or they've got that ability or you know there's lots of different reasons people get to be a leader but being a manager can often just because you're really good at the particular role that you were employed to originally and suddenly your role completely changes it looks nothing like it did before but yet you're given no training and I think that's you know leaders then say well this is our vision for our company hopefully I'll say that, often they don't, but they have, might have an idea that this is the vision, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing, this is what we're trying to achieve. And then you look at the managers who are saying, I don't know how to communicate that to my team. And they and they don't have the kind of the emotional intelligence to be able to do that. You know, it's emotional intelligence is such a big part of psychological safety in the organisation. So, you know, I'm talking, I always talk about the culture. You've got to feel safe to be able to communicate openly. You know, it's all very well us sitting here saying that people need to be able to say what they're worried about. But actually, does their culture enable that? And that, in terms of employees, what they experience as a culture is usually from what their manager creates. So it's got to be directed, it's got to be led by the leadership. But if your manager isn't buying into that and isn't creating an environment where it's safe to challenge and you've got space to be creative and you've got it's okay to make mistakes and people know how to get on and how to problem solve and people know how to ask for help and you know if you haven't got all that then it's going to fall down the first hurdle so managers need support and it's not i often think people think it's a weakness whereas actually it's just a normal it's just be it should be a standard developmental pathway you become a manager you need some support with that yeah. And even what you said at the beginning, it's like if you give somebody
0: a new piece of equipment and say, off you go. Yeah. I mean, if you did that, they might actually go and watch somebody else and how they use it, exactly. which is what managers can tend to do. But you might learn from somebody who was really crap.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. As well, yes. And I think when you ask the questions, to people, I'll often ask people, so think about your whole work career so far. Think about somebody has really inspired you. Think of someone who you think is a really good role model. What is it about them that you really liked? And what is it that you didn't like about someone else that wasn't so effective? And get them to start actually carving out, consciously carving out the kind of manager they want to be. But we often don't even we don't even ask people to reflect from themselves, let alone not give them the, the training or support. But we don't often say to people, just who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? How do you want to relate to your team? And also, while we're at it, you're also an individual as well. So you'll have your own personal stuff going on and you're not superhuman because we tend to forget that managers are also human beings who have their own set of stuff going on. Um, but, yeah, I just think that hitting the pause button saying, are you happy with how you are? Have you asked your team what, what do you find are kind of the three best things about me? And what's the one thing that actually if I could tweak to make it easier for you, what would that be? I mean, it's, it's incredible courage and being authentic. And, but, you know, when, when managers are able to do that, often with a bit of support, gosh, the, the stuff they get coming back, particularly you get more positives coming back and you, you make sure that happens, it's so rewarding because you hear about the good stuff you're doing and then at least you know what you need to be working on To make yourself even more effective as a manager, absolutely, yeah, and that does take courage for sure. Yeah, but it's it's like anything,
0: isn't it? It's it's taking that first step, and then the bit of momentum builds momentum, and before you know it, people are coming to you willingly or voluntarily, saying, "Actually, the way we spoke just there didn't suit me, or could we do
1: it like this?" Yep, exactly. I'd I'd rather rather than we have our formal one-to-one every two months I'd really like to touch basically every week right now particularly as I'm remote working or whatever it is but it's being able to say that hmm. well I firmly believe that anyone
0: managing somebody should really be talking to them every week
1: exactly and really I think need to. yeah that's that's the thing where again for someone becoming a manager they need to be consulting their manager their line manager about okay what is the expectation of me in terms of fulfilling that role do you just want me to have a title manager but probably have you know, maybe five or 10% of my week given to that role, which would probably be around the not so nice aspects of managing. Or don't me to be a really effective manager, which means that at least half my role is a manager. Because if I do my role well and my whole team is therefore thriving and really engaged and really productive, you know, performing at their best, then surely that's really good use of me as a resource. So it's kind of that thinking about I'm I'm the gateway to amazing things happen to my team, but I've got to be given the time to do that. The time. And also if there's a few
0: things that you need to change yourself, they're not all going to happen at once. Exactly. I can remember when I was learning to swim and you're correcting your strokes and you're doing all of this. And I remember the coach saying, let's just do one change at a time because you'll forget to breathe. <laughs> If you're trying to do everything. And I think that's the other thing is we go on a course maybe and they give us five things that we need to change to be better at managing, you know? whatever it is, or that you've sat down with somebody. How do you select, maybe put your intentions in place which habits are most important
1: to change? Because trying to do it all at once won't work. Yeah, I always encourage people, when have go gone any kind of development, personal development journey. So whether that's reading something or attending a webinar or training, whatever it is, to think about what are the key things that would make the biggest difference to them. So there's two ways to think about it. Sometimes it's the quick wins. So I could just do these three things and they're really so easy. I could do them today. And actually I'll start to make a bit of a dent in kind of the direction I want to be going in. Or it could be actually, this is something that I really need to get, kind of give a lot of time and attention to. Because I really need to work out what's going well and what's not going well. And so that's that's my focus. I'm gonna just focus on that one thing. And I think sometimes that is about the thing we tend to keep putting off. So if you know if in your mind you know something you keep putting off, or it might be the thing you kind of keep, you keep coming back to and saying, I should do it, I should do it, but it doesn't quite, you don't achieve it. There's always something that comes up, it doesn't quite work. And it's it's then it's taking the one thing that you think will make the biggest difference. It might be have to have a conversation with other people and say, I'm thinking about these five things. What do you think I should focus on first and get other people's perspective? But once you've chosen that one thing, it's then working out, okay, what can I do to break that down to be realistic? So my one thing is I want to be a better manager, for example. What does that even look like? And how do I break that down to manageable tasks? And when I'm then looking at that, how who do I need to ask for help? What tasks do I need to do to make that come about? What blips do I expect to happen? And I think that's a really important part of intentions because people are often, you know, New Year's resolution, I want to go to the gym or I, I can't do that this year, but I want to, I want to do something really healthy. But run every day. Run every day. And then it's like, and then one day we're having like, it's icy or it's like gale falls wind or whatever and someone doesn't do it. They're like, oh, I failed. And then it's very hard to pick that back up again. Whereas when you understand that human behavior is normal for things not to go according to plan perfectly you expect things to to fail and i don't i tend to not use the word fail because that feels very permanent i use the word blip you know you've got a bit of a blip so actually you've had a blip so what did you learn before that made it okay to start in january and you know what are your past successes we tend to forget to look at past successes We just go, oh, I failed right now, I can't do it. Well, actually, you did it at one point in the past, so what did you do then? And I think when we plan what we want to develop, whatever it might look like, anticipate what those blips, what those barriers, those obstacles are going to be. Because, again, we kind of go, right, this is what I'm going to now do, and we don't necessarily think about, okay, so what might stop it happening? Because as soon as you think, well, that might happen, that might happen, that might happen, you can plan how you're going to get over those blips, those obstacles, so when they do happen, if they happen, you you're then equipped to deal with them. You're not going, oh, ha- yeah, you know, I can't do it. No. So it's all it's about the mindset, isn't it? It is, and I suppose even
0: even if it happens and you succumb to the blip or whatever, you
1: can still get up the next day <laughs> and do exactly. it again. Exactly, and it's fine to, you know, I often say we've got to be compassionate as well to ourselves. So it's, already, it's very easy for people to say, right, I've got to be super, superhuman and I've got to be doing amazing homeschooling and running a business and making sure I'm exercising every day and making sure I'm doing this around my house and, and suddenly set these unrealistic goals. And then when you don't achieve it, you give yourself a really hard time. And actually it's okay to say, oh, today my house looks a real mess or today I didn't do my best at work or, you know, my kids have watched too much telly or whatever it might be. And just to normalise it as... I'm, having, I'm tired today or I've just got too much on and I just need to take the pressure off everything. And it's, it's okay. So it's kind of, it's reframing that sense of failure and doom and gloom into, it's fine. Actually, life is pretty tough right now. Or, you know, this is just not a great week for me or whatever it is. And just to normalize it. And importantly, to communicate that with the people around you. So I'll often say to my kids, you know, if I'm stressed or tired, I'm actually just feeling a bit like right now. It's nothing to do with you. And they're like, that's fine. So they're not then tiptoeing around thinking, what have I done to upset mummy? They're just, they know that I'm feeling a bit stressed because I need to get out for a run or I've got too much work on or whatever it might be. So it's communicating, being very clear about, it's, it's conscious, being very clear and conscious about this is what I'm trying to do. This is what's getting in the way. This is how I communicate it. But most of all, just, accepting it if I'm having a bit of an off day just be gentle on myself and don't beat myself up
0: that's very interesting Lisa because even saying it to your kids is one thing but also you can say it to people at work yeah you know that actually look I'm in a crap mood today so please forgive me it's got nothing to do with you I've got x going on don't need to talk about it or whatever But exactly and because often things like imposter syndrome for people or whatever might be thinking oh I've done something wrong or yeah you know that person's mad at me (laughs) whatever and and then that person goes off creating this big story and has a crap day as well yeah but back to the compassion too is Kirsten Neff that writes about self-compassion and one of the things she talks about is treat yourself like give advice to yourself like you would a friend yeah or an employee employee so, so if somebody was like stressed out you'd probably tell them go sit down take a walk have a cup of tea
1: yeah be yeah. easy
0: on yourself we just yeah. don't internalize that too often yeah
1: yes and I think we have it's, I always talk about put your own oxygen mask on first <clears throat> yeah it's, exactly it's that, and we can be really good at telling other people what to do but we don't start with ourselves and I think going back to the thing about managers there's so much pressure put on certain people or people put it on themselves to perform form form you've got all these goals to jump through it just feels an impossible task and actually when we take a step back and say you know, I've actually got to look after me right now, I can feel, you know, I I often talk to people about what your early warning signs that your emotional arousal is creeping up, because do you realise when your emotional arousal creeps up, the impact that has on your performance and your cognitive capacity and so on, you know, you need to know, you need to tune into that, and you then need to take action, if you choose to ignore it, it's a fail across the board, and like you were talking about imposter syndrome, when people, I often talk about you're in a critic, so when you're Amygdala starts firing, it's like, oh, that's going to be, you know, you're hopeless, or that person is really grumpy with you because they haven't communicated, they're just having an off day, or whatever's going on, and your amygdala speaks more, your inner critic is much more vocal when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling anxious, because our imagination is our most misused resource in of all of them. And we start imagining glass half empty, everything's you know, black and white, and it's all very black at the moment. But we have when we hear that voice when we again we pause we take a step back and we hear that voice we have a choice about whether we listen to that and I think so many people just hear this internal voice and they're like well that's just that's just me rather than giving your giving it in a critic like an identity I would say give your amygdala so your little security officer give it an identity and then you can have a you can get cross with it you can get stroppy with it say just shut up you know I don't want to listen to that I, I I don't believe you when you say I'm a failure actually I'm doing okay I'm, I'm kind of doing the best I can but it's about being to take a step back and and hear that voice and you choose what you do with it you don't have to do everything it says absolutely and
0: but that does take work Lisa I mean it's not yeah. something that you're not even really conscious it's there even though you are and then no, suddenly exactly. you start listening and you're like oh
1: yes (laughs) who are you and what are you doing in my head (laughs) yeah exactly and even the early warning signs So I say to people you know you need to catch it early because that as soon as your emotional arousal is really high and it's stopping your cognitive brain from working well then you kind of you're limiting your ability to problem solve and to remember things and to be kind of thoughtful and have good relationships and so on and then I say to people, what your early warning signs are like I have no idea I know and I completely lost it I know and I'm so stressed that I'm like I'm ne- needing to pace or I want to hit something or I'll shout but actually you need to you need to identify what's going on for you way before that mm. so you can take control of it
0: and do you th- like does that come from just not ever learning this stuff as we grew up yeah. I mean, our, our, I wonder, are kids now learning this a bit more? There's certainly more talk about emotions and well-being and everything, but it's never something, you know, we were probably told not to express ourselves too much. Yeah. You know, everything was kind of be a bit more neutral. Don't be too excited. Don't be too sad. Don't
1: be too angry. Don't yeah. be too happy. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's really interesting. So I used to be a teacher. And then when I after that I was then working with schools around social, emotional development stuff and there's some brilliant stuff around we now recognize actually children need to be socially emotionally well if they're going to perform well in their exams at school so there's a kind of an awareness and there's much more of an awareness in schools but I still would question the kind of the education around actually what happens in your brain and understanding because it's all very well you know I might understand when I'm angry or I might understand when I'm feeling sad and I might have some strategies about what to do about that which is great but as soon as we actually understand the kind of mechanics of what's happening in our brain, then we we put ourselves in the best control and we also understand other people's reactions a bit more. And there's the whole, you know, that's, that kind of almost fits in with this whole stuff around putting your brain to the right place just to be able to engage well. So, you know, we are so on, or, you know, we're plugged in all the time. You've got notifications coming through all the time. We're being bombarded how do you prioritize how do you organize your day how do you you know all that stuff we need to be taught how to do and actually we're just being bombarded more and more and more having more and more pressure put on us for higher expectations and yet we we're not giving any strategies of how to manage that and that's the stuff we need to be taught as well how do you manage your day and it's simple stuff
0: it's really and,
1: and that's why we don't want to learn it, maybe, because we think we should know it. Yes. Yeah. And then and that's, you know, when I'm working with companies, sometimes I'm kind of thinking what do I call this. So it sounds like, oh, that sounds at a level that clearly I need to learn this. Whereas if you actually said what it was, they'd be like, well, we all know that anyway. But the reality is we might know that we should prioritise, but we don't do it. Or we might know that we should take breaks, but we don't do it. And often that's because we don't understand the real why in terms of the impact it has on our brain and our performance and so on. And we don't know how to do that in the most effective, efficient way so we can still get our work done.
0: Yeah, and not let others down or whatever is is, is kind of holding us back.
1: And be judged for it. Like surely you must. You're you're not quite as resilient as the rest of us. If you need to keep taking breaks, <laughs> <laughs> or, or you're actually saying no to that task, can you not get put that on the end of your list? Or you know, to me to say you're you're not stressed. That means you're not working hard enough. It's beginning to kind of challenge all these misconceptions, which, again, we we hold on to as this is this is how we should be at work. It's like actually no, you you're not you're not your best when you're like that actually you're kind of definitely not your best you're you're putting all the barriers up yeah
0: wow gosh there's so much and unfortunately we've come to the end of our conversation today but I think we definitely need to have you come back again Lisa and talk about some more of this because there was so much more I wanted to talk about as well but in the meantime how does someone connect
1: with you So they can come to my, look at my website, it's time for change, or they can email me and or they can go to me on LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn. So those are the the best places to find me. And you know what, on LinkedIn, I'm actually hopeless, I was saying to you um, earlier, I'm hopeless at doing stuff like that, because I just haven't got time to sit and do social media. But I love having conversations with people. And I love just talking about this stuff. And so I always say to people, if you just want to carry on the conversation, or just want to pick my brain about something then just get in touch it's not an expectation of anything to follow up on that but it's just to to talk about i think we need to have the conversation more
0: fantastic well thank you so much for your time lisa that's been such an interesting conversation today fabulous thank you bye bye thank you for listening today and if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.